0: Hey, everybody, it's Corey Mosley, and this is the Fearless Entrepreneurship Podcast, strategy, testimony, and real talk for all things entrepreneurship, and it starts right now. Hello, 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 hello. We are back for another episode of the Fearless Entrepreneurship Podcast. I'm your host Corey Mosley. As usual, we are talking all things business, business growth, entrepreneurship, war stories, success stories. Sometimes we cry. Um, I haven't cried yet, actually, but but it, 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 who knows? We could get there, right? Today, I've got another super exciting guest. Um, all too often, you know, I'm fortunate enough to participate in a number of charities and and charitable organizations and, you know, I've been on a few boards and, you know, anniversary boards and some different things in that area. And all too often, I think once we talk about the idea of nonprofit, we get into this mindset that nonprofit means we don't have to use business principles, we don't have to think about marketing, think about our fundraising, think about how we run the organization, and we lose sight of that, and, and I see a lot of organizations that have good intentions that fall into trouble because they don't operate like a business because it's so heartfelt that they don't really connect those real tried and true business principles to growing their organization. So I wanted to fix that in my own way or address that at least in my own way by having a guest who specializes in helping nonprofits make an impact, also uh, applying those business principles. So I'm talking then, I'm talking about, I should say, none other than our guest today, uh, Sarah Olivieri, I think I got it right? Did I get it right, Sarah? Did I get it right?
1: You got it. Okay, okay. I'm talking.
0: About <laughs> she's a nonprofit business strategist. Now, she's a nonprofit business strategist, but also a number one international best selling author and former executive director. She's been featured in over 30 podcasts and is the creator of the Impact Method. Now, this is a framework that helps nonprofits simplify their operations, build aligned teams, and make a bigger impact. Without getting overwhelmed, that's a good one, or burning out. Now, in addition to her master's degree in humanistic and multicultural education, she also has 15 years of nonprofit leadership experience. And as the founder and heart behind Pivot Ground, Sarah helps nonprofits make a big impact with relative ease. Sarah, thank you for joining the show today.
1: Corey is really my pleasure.
0: I want to cover a couple of different things, right? I want to I want to tell the entrepreneurship story, right? Because as an on, you're an entrepreneur whose business model is working with nonprofits, so I want to talk about that, and then we want to talk about some practical things because I have listeners that whether want to start nonprofits or have side hustles, heart, heartfelt missions, as we like to say, to uh, to to give back and really haven't formalized that. So I think we can we can do some multi-duty today, if, if possible, <laughs> in doing that. Because when people think about nonprofit, the other thing is we just think, you know, there's no dollars and cents. Now, for those of you who study this, right, we know better. We know there are huge, or when you think about nonprofit, right, a lot of times we think about huge organizations like Susan G. Komen and St. Jude's and those that have a lot of profile, right? You can't shop in the mall during Christmas time without being asked to donate an extra $2 to St. Jude's or, you know, uh, in Breast Cancer Awareness Month, everything's pink, right? I was at the P.F. Chang's last year and they changed the horses to pink. Like, I mean, phenomenal marketing, right? The horses that sit outside turn pink in honor of that. So we think about those big, huge organizations, United Ways, but as you probably know, there's right there's a million different um, smaller organizations that are out here making a huge impact in the area so I want to talk about how does someone decide after being an executive director and, and and doing some of the things that you've done to go into this area and say let's go do this is that is that just a mission thing for you or is <laughs> is that is there really a <laughs> is it just heartfelt or is there really you know that strong business opportunity in that market talk, tell us a little bit about that
1: Oh, man. It's probably both. And probably like most entrepreneurs, part of my business journey has been um, things that I set out to do intentionally, and then other times, things that, opportunities that fell in my lap, and I spent a lot of time catching up um, to do the new thing. Um, I started out working in nonprofits that kind of fell in my lap but it had been in my family and it was what aligned with my heart and then I started very intentionally I found myself in a leadership position pretty quickly because I could do talk to parents I could develop programming and I could run the books at the same time, which made me like a nonprofit superstar. If you can do people and numbers, <laughs> look out, world! <laughs> yes, that is um, that is big, <laughs> right? So I found, then I intentionally started becoming a nonprofit leader. I was executive director at a few organizations, um, both for nonprofits and once for a foundation, which was very interesting. And then, you know, honestly, the economy crashed and while I was very experienced, all of a sudden I was competing against people with PhDs and more experience Mm. than I'd even been alive. So um, (laughs) I fell back on one of the skills I had picked up running nonprofits, which was building websites and doing marketing. And so I leaned on that, and I got very good at that. I became a digital marketer, and I started an agency. A big project pushed me into an agency model, which I really mm. wanted to embrace because I knew that the you know that um, self employed right single person business was not stable enough for me Mm. um so as i moved into an agency model i started getting more serious about business and and while that stuff had been happening i had helped my husband at the time start a media production company and then an art supply store and cafe so i had picked up a lot of business knowledge right and so i started getting more intentional all this time I didn't realize that I was an entrepreneur or I didn't call myself an entrepreneur. Mm. Even though one of the nonprofits I ran, I had started myself. So here I am after starting three very different businesses. I finally started to say, hey, I'm an entrepreneur. (laughs) And I got serious about um, learning about how to run business um, and very intentional about that. And of course, one of the first things I learned was I needed to choose a niche. And um, my best clients at the time were already nonprofits. And I realized that I could help them in a whole new way. Um, so I started this marketing agency. I was very excited to be partnering with some incredible for profit marketers who wanted to work with nonprofits, but they always struggled um, with working with nonprofits because they were too disorganized and couldn't move quickly enough. Mm. Um, It wasn't really about the money for them. They would have donated their services to nonprofits, but they still couldn't help them. Um, And so as I did that, I quickly realized that even larger nonprofits really couldn't handle the amount of marketing. What they really needed was to organize themselves as businesses. And I actually had a client who asked me to come and do that for them. And I was like, wow, I could do this and get paid for it? Like, this is (laughs) really fun to me. Like, you want me to reorganize your departments? I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but for me, I loved it. (laughs) And so I transitioned my business into what it is now pivot ground where I do business consulting and coaching and I have developed the impact method which is a a business framework just for nonprofits or it works for social entrepreneurs but it's the only one I know of that is designed to meet the unique needs of nonprofits and so I train nonprofits how to implement it in their organizations.
0: You know oftentimes so I kind of have this, you know, just an exercise that I do with with my coaching clients, you know, very early on because clarity, right, is the magic word for um, a lot of a lot of people in finding clarity in this kind of entrepreneurship area. You talk about being an accidental entrepreneur, saying, "Hey, realizing that you are one," you know, some people <laughs> take the title on um, before they actually know what that is, and then some people kind of, kind of, you know, kind of work into it I think that's when the stigma of hey I'm an entrepreneur because it used to be you say that and it's like oh so you don't really have a job right that that's the (laughs) the, you know that a lot of times oh he so-and-so's an entrepreneur okay what does that what does that actually mean but now you know in this environment where you kind of fall into that one of the things that I talk about is having awareness and a heightened awareness as you go through your professional life learning and understanding the things and having this hyper-awareness about things you connect with. Like, what is the activity? Like what activity are you doing at any given moment and how do you, how are you connecting with that? So, yeah. you know, for me, I, I would find when I was, when I was coaching people, not formally, not for money, but like, Hey, Corey, what do you think about this? Or, or, you know, here's an idea and I, I'd find myself in that moment Where I'm like, wow, this is something I should be doing. Now I need to go add skill and do some other things. But it seems like you also had that moment as well where you started doing this, and you know, whether it was that started with that first project, and you were like, Wow, this is, you know, this is something that I can have a real impact in, and now I can systemize it, right? That's what the impact method is all about. The systemization (laughs) of that. What do you think are some of the things that when you talk about unique to the nonprofit area what are some of the things that you typically see as the greatest opportunities for nonprofits to to have a greater impact overall
1: Sure. Um, well, you mentioned at the very beginning, right? You have to focus in any business. You have to make sure you've got your ducks in a row when it comes to um, your marketing, how you're coordinating yourself internally, having a brand that's really just to who your organization is as though they were a person, what their personality is or MO, mm. um, you know, having some sort of business model for how money comes in and also how you deliver your service. Um, so nonprofits need all need to pay attention to all those things, but the reality as I see it is nonprofits are actually much more complex than for-profits from day one. And so so they actually need, I will, so they need to focus on all these things even more than for-profits. So imagine this. I tell you, Corey, Corey, it's time for you to start a new business, but you must follow these rules. You must have at least three business partners from day one. Hmm and you must have actually be running two businesses at the same time from day one. Does that sound like a business that's gonna work out to you, Corey?
0: No, I mean, just the idea of three partners has got me scared.
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> two partners is yeah. usually yeah, failed. Yeah,
0: that's right. That's
1: the reality for nonprofits, right? Every nonprofit basically by law has to, at very minimum, have three board members. So that's three people who all have to agree and communicate and understand together what Mm. their shared vision is. And then on top of that, every nonprofit is both going to have at least one product line um, and business, um, business model, which is how do we deliver our service or deliver on our mission, make the impact on our mission. And they simultaneously need to build the business of fundraising. How do we attract donors? How do we attract foundations and get money from them? And those are fairly different businesses, although they can have crossover between the clientele. Um, You can certainly have somebody who you serve and turn them into a donor, and vice versa. Not all nonprofits serve um, people who are economically disadvantaged. And even those who do, um, people without financial means still have a great amount of support. They can lend to your organization by being willing to share their story, be a spokesperson, um, be a volunteer. Uh, there's lots lots of things that people can help out with. So those are the two what, big things, more people to collaborate with and right. two business models happening simultaneously.
0: So when you when you look at this, and I, I'm thinking like in my head, I'm thinking of, of several that I've, whether participated now or participated in the past, and I think about um and and I can even really apply this to boards. I'm on a few boards that that I guess I mean they are nonprofit, but when I think nonprofit, I think about charity all the time. So I, I I think I default to that as a lot of people do. But when when I think about the boards, I also see where you're relying on people. And again, you have right your smaller entities that, you know, it's mostly volunteer people on the board, things of that nature. What challenges do you see? Because I see this idea where sometimes there's people there. There are people in roles where they want to contribute, and they have they're whether on the board or this committee, that kind of thing. And it's nice that they're raising their hand, but they're really not qualified for the area that they have influence in. How do you make that? You know, oh well, this person is the chair of marketing, and they don't have any real experience in driving marketing.
1: Yeah, so I think um, you know there's some charities or nonprofits whose board who have paid staff, and right. then there's some who do not, where the board are the staff as well as the board. Right. And um, but even in that second case, I really encourage board members to consider that they have a board member hat, and then they have a staff member hat and not mm. to confuse the two roles and to keep them kind of separate in their mind. Um, now, as far as let's assume there's paid staff or at least your board is good at only, you know, sitting in separate seats when they're doing the work and when they're being a right. the board. Um, I have a few ideas. They're certainly not what you will hear in the mainstream, but I'm putting them out good. there because I think they're really important for people to think about.
0: Okay.
1: Number one is that the primary responsibility of the board, because they hold a great deal of liability for the organization, is to provide oversight, essentially double check that the organization has systems and processes in place that are good systems and processes and that the outcomes um, are being worked on or being achieved. Um, So they need to just be like, is this happening, yes or no? Okay, yes, it's happening, awesome, we'll move on. No, it's not. Let's make sure that our staff are working on it. And then the other thing is really to be a group of people who are ready to think critically and help make really hard decisions about Mm. how the organization is running overall and what its future may look like or what decisions need to be made now for the long-term future. Now, here's where I start to really differ, is I would say when it comes to fundraising, when it comes to marketing, when it comes to programming, these committees should not be committees of the board. They should be volunteer Mm -hmm. committees that work with the staff, and um, they could be task task force, or you call them committees of the corporation, whatever you want to name them. But that is, those are committees about doing the work of running the nonprofit, the day-to-day work, and they shouldn't be part of the board, and especially fundraising. I want to say that the history of nonprofit boards is really fraught with a great deal of privilege and prejudice. And I think as long as Hmm. we keep kind of fundraising synonymous with a responsibility of a board member we tend to lean towards saying we need wealthy people or people with Mm. with big money connections on or our boards and as soon as we can pull those two things apart and say yes we need a group of wealthy people to regularly fund our organization but they can be an advisory board or a friendship committee um, or whatever you want to call it and they're focused Fundraising and fundraising is a core business function of a nonprofit. It shouldn't be relegated to the board, which is really kind of outside the nonprofit in a way.
0: Okay, good. I want to pick up on this because I was taking some notes as you were talking. How, how do you? I want to get your this conversation and talk about. Often when I meet founders right the people that started it all the board founders There, of course there's always some core passion that drives this right most most non-profits especially from a charitable end i don't think it's not like we woke up you know it's not like the the guy who woke up and invented the scrub daddy right he was out to solve this problem and make a lot of money i think most most charities come from a place of of a heart center so you have these passionate founders who you know are passionate and they go recruit other people to be part of their mission how do they transfer as it relates to things like raising money which is core you can't help anybody um you can't you know fulfill your mission in a lot of instances if if it's to feed the hungry if it's to help sick children if it's to whatever give scholarships all that takes money to do how do you or what advice do you have for founders who have all that passion but they don't have active people in their organization that are really committed to the fundraising now they'll come to a party but in terms of advocacy on a regular basis how do you create that when you talk about you know culture and aligned teams in your method talk me through this that particular area
1: Sure. Um, Well, first I'd just like to say founders of nonprofits are like most entrepreneurs. They are visionaries. Um, They just happen to be very heart-driven visionaries. And almost all visionaries are great at getting a new idea started, um, attracting a lot of attention. And also most visionaries are really bad at getting all the final details kind of like organized or turning kind of a bootstrapped thing into a larger system that operates smoothly between many people. Um, and so, I think as far as that specific founder issue, just like for all nonprofits, it's important to recognize that there's actually kind of two major leadership roles that make larger organizations and larger. Let's think of larger as in large number of people, because it doesn't always equate to money. But certainly, you need mm. you need money. It is fuel for your nonprofit. Sure. But sometimes it's really about organizing people more than it is about money. And so one role is being that visionary. Most businesses and nonprofits, even more so, continue to need to generate new ideas, generate excitement, because they're solving the world's most complex problems, typically. Um, And same for a for-profit, right? If you're an entrepreneur, like even larger businesses, they need to have someone who can kind of run out in front and see where the world is going and have brilliant, new, crazy ideas. But then, when they've got a lot of people involved, they need a second leader who's really good at looking at all the people who are involved and saying to the visionary person, awesome, we're gonna implement your idea, this is how long we need to do it, and who's gonna make sure that everybody, the whole big group, you know, it's like a a three-legged race times many can come along. Or they are the leader that sometimes says to the visionary, that idea is just too crazy. We cannot do that right now. You will break everything else, and we're not going to do it. And those are naturally, those two roles are super important, but they also naturally come into healthy conflict. Um, but they are really mm. important for all businesses who are going to really grow, um, and especially for nonprofits. So that's kind of one really specific area. Um, But I can talk a little bit about like everybody else, right? How do we really build aligned teams as well?
0: I want to talk about that, but I want to stay on this. I think there's this business growth question out there in, in the nonprofit world. And I'll, I'll come back to the team in a minute. I want to go down the kind of path here of this fight for dollars, right? Because, It's not infinite. And now you have more and more things going up. GoFundMe is going up for just about anything in any situation. You've got Facebook on your birthday now. You can opt to push donations and get donations from people. How are you advising organizations and nonprofits to stand out in this fight for dollars that's in the marketplace?
1: Yeah. um, It kind of depends on the organization. But as a rule of thumb, I tell them, Don't worry about it. (laughs) Run your own race (laughs) because most nonprofits aren't really good at the fundraising, marketing basics, and so it's not really worth worrying about how you're going to get a competitive edge when the competitive edge is just (laughs) right. If you don't have the basics, like get the basics down. (laughs) Stop, I see nonprofits they punt marketing research into their strategic planning processes which means a lot of them are only really doing marketing research every three to five years and they're doing Mm. it at this very very high level and that's really ineffective I mean to in today's marketing world if you only did marketing research every three to five years you'd be out of business as a for-profit so um, so marketing basics is really really important Um, also you know Um, Even though I think this year individual giving is down a little, it's Mm. still the biggest, biggest area. The most uh, dollars that come into the nonprofit sector come through individual gifts, and yet still the majority of nonprofits are using events to raise money, and events continue to be the lowest return on investment fundraising activity you can do.
0: Now that's interesting. So, um, because you know, one of wow, like you're talking to me. I mean, one of the charitable organizations I'm involved with, you know, they bank their their major gifting uh, and their ability to to gift out on two major events, which is a big gala that they do uh, in the spring, and then a Christmas type themed party that they do, you know, in the fourth quarter. So they're pretty much heavily relying on events. And I'm hearing you say that that's some of the lowest return overall in terms of that. So what's the opposite of that? If that's one of the lowest, what are some of the high return items for people to be considering?
1: Yeah, um, highest return, kind of immediate return would be, um, you know, I'd say kind of in order of priority of what you should work on them, Um, major gifts. So, building some relationships with a few major donors is always a great right. start um, and then start building on how do you have more and more major donors giving more and more. Um, and kind of right alongside that is your, your regular donors. They're still very special, but not you don't have to maybe have as close a relationship with them in order to get them to give regularly and, of course, mm. within donations, Just like within sales, that first donation is the most expensive to get. The next time that same person donates, you have a much greater return. And so just like in for-profit, and this is where the nonprofit world really needs to think like a for-profit world. Am I raising money in the most efficient way? What is the lifetime value of Mm. this donor? Um, And as soon as you start looking at it that way, you will realize that you could be putting your energy into activities that raise a lot more money per amount of money and effort you spend. So you want to get all donors to become recurring donors. Another area that nonprofits should really be thinking about, this has a really big return on investment, but the return timeline is about 10 years or so. But this is Mm. the time to do it. It's super exciting. It's called planned giving that's when people give their assets to you when they pass away um but what is really important about that right now is we are we have already entered the period of time where the baby boomers are passing away and they are Mm. planning for for the next generation and it is the largest transfer of wealth in human history but the catch is most baby boomers have illiquid assets, meaning it's not cash in the bank. They're probably not a big donor right now. In fact, they might just be a volunteer. They might just send you a couple right. bucks a year, but they probably have, you know, $500,000, a million dollars worth of property that they could be donating to you upon their death. And if you're not, have you're not setting up the the basic things you need to have in place in order to accept those kinds of donations. Not to mention when people give to charities in in a planned giving setting, it's often a huge um, value to them because they can. There's some situations where they can get like the donor can get a tax break now while they're still alive. Um, mm. So it can be very like a win win for the nonprofit and the donor. So that is like super high return on investment but it does have a long timeline so you kind of want to just like get your pieces set in place but once you have a planned giving system rolling that money will start coming in and it will be big money year after year because there's one thing i know about people is they we all die sometime that's like guaranteed um, it's gonna happen and it's gonna keep happening probably for a long time
0: i think i'm gonna I'm, i'm considering freezing myself what do you think about? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> just you
1: can, you can freeze yourself, <laughs> but make sure you set up a planned gift before you do <laughs> I like you that, yes.
0: <laughs> yes, I'm all for you your right you to freeze it. yourself. I just need to get some of that planned giving first. I love that. I love that. So <laughs> <laughs> let's put the entrepreneurship hat back on for a second. And I want to speak to people that maybe someone right now that may be listening that is in a regular kind of corporate job or a regular 9 to 5 situation they they have that entrepreneurial spirit that 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 idea that bug um, that they've been bitten by but they're not but they're mi- they're more mission based in maybe a non-profit way so while they're not dreaming about you know becoming the having the next big app you know to get people to play games all day or to do whatever they are dreaming of, of fulfilling a mission um, that may be more heart-centered, that may lend more to the nonprofit space. How, what is the best way or what is your advice for someone who wants to become a nonprofit-based entrepreneur?
1: Yeah, well, I'd say there's, um, you know, there's kind of a couple things to consider. Um, Should you be starting a nonprofit, or should you be starting a mission-driven for-profit? Sometimes called um, like social uh, social enterprise, um, or you could be Mm. a social entrepreneur. Yes, I like like that. Right, Um, but I often think of them as mission-driven for-profits, meaning you know you have you have some sort of real mission that's driving you which is which is what my business is at this point you know I wanted to have a for-profit business um, there's nothing about my business that would really benefit from being a nonprofit and um, but I'm able right, to make right. a huge impact on the world right I help P- on a daily basis, I help nonprofits scale their ability to make an impact, like getting homeless people off the street, making sure people who are addicted yes. to drugs have access yes. to resources, making sure kids get the therapy they need. Like it's so rewarding. So, helping other nonprofits, I mean, that is a great way to fulfill that. If your idea, if you're wavering like do I start a nonprofit or is it a for-profit? You have to think. If you really benefit from having a lot of volunteers and doing a, and you need the ability to fundraise, then you probably want to be a nonprofit. If you don't need those things, you probably want to be a for-profit because frankly, being required to have those 3 business partners from day 1 is not right. a, not a challenge you want unless you have to do that. <laughs> mm yeah
0: and, and and I think I don't know I'm just inferring here that how do you like when you when you start making that decision like i mean it's easy if I'm in business to have to have some thoughts on how i'm going to pay myself and what my earning potential should be could be i gotta assume is there th- there may be some kind of and I, and I'm probably talking more entry level entrepreneur idea, not the united way and things like that that have obviously financial infrastructures on how people are compensated, but do you think is there a certain level I, it's just I just it's a thought, a certain level of like guilt that may come with like okay, great i'm I've started my nonprofit as my mission, and I have a good donor base how do i how do I take money to now, obviously I need to pay my bills and I need to survive also as the executive director or or the leader of this. How do I determine what I should be taking from the charity,
1: yeah. Yeah, there is so much guilt in the industry. Um, but what I would counter that with, because I really believe, you know, there are so many nonprofits who literally their mission is about helping people who live below the poverty line get above right. the poverty line. And yet right. they tell their own employees a lower than living wage.
0: That's so many nonprofit
1: employees get a second job just to be able to get by. And mm. to me, that's not right. And it also right. doesn't really serve the mission, right? You are counter to your mission if you're underpaying your employees, one, uh, if that is your mission. Another yeah. thing is if you really underpay yourself to the part that it hurts your, you know, how you're living, having just, you know, reasonable living, you're adding a level of strain and stress to your daily life that is actually making you less good at doing your job. We all mm. need enough money to do the things we need to do and we need enough time off to be energized. I have to tell you, the more time off I take... The more I get new ideas and f- and solve business problems, that happens right. most when I rest. And if you're not resting and you're not paying yourself, you are missing out on really important opportunities for your nonprofit.
0: Mm, I like that. So, so final thing before we go into some some lighter fare trivia. Um, and talk about some of your crazy entrepreneurship moments you brought up the idea of teams so i wanted to give you an opportunity to comment on that before before we switched gears and just share with us some of your ideas for or you know some tips for building the right team or or your kind of perspective on on team and culture as that you know may correlate to the Professional world, also, right? Those same principles are 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 very similar, I, I would assume. So I want to give you the opportunity to speak about that, because I know you wanted to talk a little bit about team building and in that piece,
1: sure. And there are they are exactly the same as in a for-profit as for a nonprofit, except nonprofits tend to have bigger teams earlier on. Um, mm. so, There's really two main parts to this. It's a big topic. But one part is you really have to get clear on your brand. And I'm not talking about your logo or your color scheme. Those are expressions (laughs) of your brand. Those are brand assets. I'm talking about you have to understand who your organization is as a personality. How do you act? What's your MO? Are you Robin Hood? Do you believe it's okay to steal from the rich to give to the poor? Or yeah. are you Mother Teresa? You know, if you were, if your nonprofit was a person, what would they be like? And once you understand that, you need to build your team of employees, your team of board members, your clients, and your donors. They all need to be attracted and, and to the, be the kind of person who works well with the kind of organization your organization is. And whenever you accidentally let in a bad fit, you need to part ways because it mm. is one of the most expensive and damaging things to do um, with your organization. So that's one thing. you got to build your tribe, right? And your tribe right. is a, a group of aligned people. So that's one piece. And that's probably like the culture piece at its core. And then the other piece is rather than thinking about organizing your nonprofit or, or for-profit business around who's in charge of who, <laughs> and like, right. oh, I'm the finance director and I'm in charge of these five people, you need to think about what are the core functions that need to happen to make our nonprofit run, and what are the outcomes, what are the things that need to result? at the end of the day for those functions to be working well? And then who is going to be accountable at the end of the day for those outcomes? And then give everybody who's in charge of an outcome the freedom to decide and change and essentially lead how you will make sure that that outcome is achieved. Because it's really different if your job is to answer the phone and you say, right. oh, we got to make sure the phones are answered. That is not the same as if I told you. Your job is to make sure that when someone reaches out to our organization to, to talk to us, that somebody is there to meet them and talk back to them. If that's your, what you're responsible for, then the day Facebook Messenger comes out, you're there and you know that you have the power to say, oh, people are knocking on our door on Facebook. We are changing the way we work so that we answer that call on Facebook.
0: Mmm. I like that.
1: Yeah, so by thinking about outcomes, you both empower your people, more people within your organization to be leaders, and you also set yourself free so that you can change and adapt to new situations much much faster.
0: Wow. I th- I think that's super super impactful. You know, thinking about yourself now as an entrepreneur and you know the various businesses but where you are now you could pick anyone that you want you can pick an experience that you've had while running your current organization or think about some of the experiences you've had in the other other lives as they like to say the other <laughs> lives that that you've lived what comes to mind when I say craziest entrepreneurship moment
1: oh my god when I started a media company a video media production company um We needed to create some uh, material to show people. And we decided to make um, some short video documentaries. And we made one about ghost hunters in this area. And before I knew it, I'm sitting in an empty house in the dark in the winter. And because, you know, furnaces interfere (laughs) with the ghost hunting equipment, they have to turn the furnace off.
0: And oh, I wow. just
1: remember standing at like two o'clock in the morning, in the cold, in the dark, and um, I don't think they ever found a ghost. Once Waiting they thought for Casper naked, to come. right. <laughs> and I'm like, so, what so, am I doing here?
0: <laughs> so so now in that, so I now you've raised my curiosity really quickly before we get to uh, get to our next uh, the entrepreneurship rapid fire. Did any of that experience change your opinion on ghosts or that idea?
1: Not really, other than I think that a lot of people who detected ghosts didn't really, because we debunked a lot Uh of what the ghost people had found, um, just because they were using just really kind of low-quality microphones that are prone to... Pops and ticks and distorting noise. Ooh. <laughs> <in. Right>.
0: Okay. <laughs> so ghost, if you're out there, I was not making fun of you. I'm sorry. Do not come to uh to my home, please. Okay. <laughs> That's, oh, hold on. I think something just had this I think the audio just flashed or something really great. Oh no. Yeah, don't yeah, don't yeah. mess with yeah, don't mess with ghosts. <laughs> so <laughs> all right. So I'm gonna pivot to our entrepreneurship rapid fire section. Now, this is the part of the show where I ask you a series of questions that really give people insight to how you kind of tick as an entrepreneur. So I want you to give me the the first answer that, you know, comes out of your head. Um, It's nine questions, and are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Are you a PC or Mac kind of gal? Mac. Mac, Good. that is the correct answer. And
1: (laughs) I have a Chromebook as well, which I have to say is small but mighty. Not as mighty as the Mac. What? We're going to leave
0: that off the show. No, <laughs> we're going to edit that out. No, okay. So Mac with a little bit of uh, Chromebook out there. All right. Uh, okay. Favorite credit card to uh, run your small business?
1: Uh, I have a Chase Inc. card. They've been pretty okay. good to me.
0: They do pretty well. A lot of people say, a lot of, I hear a lot of the Chase cards on the show. Now, when it comes to, to your planner, are you a physical planner or digital planner kind of person?
1: Oh, digital. I use the impact method and we're all digital, which saves my life. And going back to the credit card, I just want to put in a plug for my small local bank who clears all my checks on the same day I deposit them.
0: Oh, nice. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) You know, I, I I don't want to go too much, but, but, um, I always I'm, I'm such an advocate of community banks and I I've said in other shows and I say this in different interviews that you know especially early on it was the community bank that said yes to us in a lot of instances when we were building our business and had contracts that you know there was no way we were gonna we didn't have the cash flow for early on um, it was the it was the community bank that stepped up and and was there for us so so definitely i i echo and ditto your shout out to uh community banks everywhere actually so yeah starbucks duncan or other 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 what's your other
1: well, you know, I used to own a cafe, okay. so I might have gotten a little spoiled. So you have These a complete days, disdain. You, right. you have a
0: complete disdain for a mass market coffee shops and mass market coffee, right? Yeah,
1: although, if I'm gonna go, you know, for mass market, Stewart's, yep. which we have in the East Coast here. Yep, you're in New
0: York, obviously. Yep. Good. Yep.
1: I'm in New York. I'll take a cup of Stewart's coffee.
0: Stewart's got Stewart's. I can get my ice cream there. I can get a hot dog. I, I mean, it's like a Seven Eleven for those of you that don't. Maybe I'm not doing it justice, but I think of it in that same uh, for my East Coast, my West Coasters, Wawa, Seven Sheets, Seven Eleven. Um, it is is what Stewart reminds me of. Um, plus yeah. some extra stuff that you can only get especially if you're upstate uh they <laughs> firewood <laughs> anybody you need some firewood you go right. go on to Stewarts.
1: <laughs> so we can get fishing tackle and, and yes. live night crawlers
0: <laughs> yes exact fireworks everything's at Stewarts if you live in that if you live in that area for sure um when it comes to thank yous is it a thank you card or a thank you email
1: Ooh, it's a thank you email. Although I wish it was a card, but in reality, it's hard to get the card. It's cards an email. Out
0: You're not the first person to break down on that. Um, when it comes to learning, hardcover book, tablet, or audio book.
1: Ooh, um, I rotate between all three.
0: Mm, like okay, nice. So you don't get too bored into one particular thing. What What yeah. would you say is your next big goal?
1: My next big goal is to start training other nonprofit consultants in the impact method so that I can mm. really scale um, the impact that I can make uh, on the world.
0: Nice. I like that. I'm gonna, we're going to be putting together over the next year a, like, did their goals come true show uh, where everybody that made different declarations we're going to have them back. So this will be a neat one to follow up on. Um uh, when I can hear about the impact method franchise certification <laughs> system. I like it. I like it. And final question. One day with any mentor, who would that person be?
1: Oh my goodness. Um, I don't know. I'm, I don't know at the moment. One day with any mentor. I'm, I'm such if a you, sponge for knowledge. I think I would really to anybody. love. Yeah, I would access to anybody, but um there's an author, and I always butcher his name. He's super famous. Um, uh, Nicholas Nassim Taleb. He wrote the um the book Anti-Fragile. That's one of my favorites. I would love to spend a day with him, having him kind of rake through my ideas and tearing them apart.
0: <laughs> okay, Nicholas, if you're out there, if you're Nicholas's agent or anybody that hears this, we gotta put you together. Uh, Sarah needs to talk to you So we're going we're, we're gonna to put the good energy out there See if we can make that happen Woohoo <laughs> Alright, now final segment today It is time for Entrepreneurship Trivia My wife who does All of our questions Is having mercy on you today Because you just have a true Or false question You don't have the pressure of The ABC So you got a 50-50 chance where everybody only normally has a 33% chance. So are you ready for your question? I am ready. All right, here we go. True or false, each month an average of 543,000 new businesses are started, according to Yahoo Small Business, which makes this number come to 6.5 million per year.
1: gonna go true i guess it depends how you define a small business but i'm leaning towards true
0: is that your final answer
1: that's my final answer
0: well sarah congratulations you have answered the entrepreneurship trivia question correctly (laughs) yeah the good i like i like when people are enthusiastic bring their own sound effects So um, I'm I'm super excited to have you on the show today. Sarah, how how do people – if people want to learn more about you, learn more about what Pivot Ground is doing, learn more about the impact method, how do they get in touch with you?
1: Sure. Just go to pivotground.com. Um, You can read about the impact method, you can read about me. If you are a nonprofit and you're thinking, you know, would working with Sarah make sense for me or would the impact method make sense for me, you can schedule a free consultation call with me. Um, Just click the apply button on the website and I'd be happy to spend 45 minutes going over what your situation is and whether or not you're a great fit for the impact method, I will make sure you leave with one to three great next steps.
0: Wow, that's fantastic. Sarah Oliveri, I want to thank you for joining the show today.
1: Thank you, Corey. It was a pleasure.
0: As I close out today's episode, I'm asking that you subscribe to my podcast to get the latest episodes as soon as they are released. If you like what you're hearing, please leave a review. And if not, just keep it to yourself. And if you've heard something today that you think can help someone you know, then I encourage you to share it. Finally, If you are a business owner that is ready to become a fearless entrepreneur, then head on over to my website, FearlessWithCorey.com, to learn more about the most comprehensive business growth support system for entrepreneurs on the planet. I'm Corey Mosley, and this has been another episode of the Fearless Entrepreneurship Podcast. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next week.